What's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Pelican Debrief Podcast. Now, this is a division of fan-sided, the ultimate home for fans, and let's be honest, if you weren't a diehard Pels fan, you probably wouldn't be here. My name's Preston Ellis, and I'm so thrilled you guys are back. Thank you, especially after a couple of uh, pretty dismal experiences we've had so uh, so far this week, but we've endured it together. We're we're coming closer together as a as a community by experiencing this pain. Now, if you want to follow me, I'm at Pelican Brief NBA. That's at Pelican Brief NBA, and you can follow our site at PelicanDebrief.com. I don't know why I made my name brief when they're Pelican Debrief. Hindsight, and get live updates on Twitter at Pelican Debrief if you want to follow our site. Now, shout out to our awesome editor Rick Stone, who lets me run this spacecraft. It's kind of my own uh, personal Millennium Falcon right now. Now, uh, pleasantries aside, we've been talking too long already. We need to get to the topic at hand as much as we both hate it. (laughs) We can't make jokes. We have to talk about Monday night's fiasco in Salt Lake. Now, there might not be a lot of fiascos that ever take place in Salt Lake City, but there was Monday night when the Pels fell to the Jazz 88-83. to Now, I know what you're thinking. 88-83. That's a pretty reasonable, close-sounding score if you live in 1992, or if maybe the Memphis Grizzlies are fighting the Los Angeles Clippers in a tight playoff battle, but... Like we discussed, your diehard fans, and you know it was ugly. It was beyond ugly. It was soul-churning, dumping onto the floor, stepping on, throwing into a garbage can, taking out to a garbage truck, and being delivered to a wasteland. It was it was difficult to watch, to say the least. Uh, 27% shooting in the first half. It didn't get any better after that. 11 converted field goals in that first half. Alvin Gentry even said, offensively, we were just inept. And when you do that, it's hard to win. You've got to score baskets. You've got to be good defensively, but you have also got to score baskets. And that's just something the Pelicans didn't do. They finished with 20 turnovers. The Jazz weren't much better. They had 19, although the Jazz did come out hot, and they had an 18-point lead early in the second. They started out shooting 9 of 11, but managed to go 7 of 24 from there. Now, To justify this a little bit from you guys, you know that the Jazz played the night before, won a thriller against the Trailblazers, a 110-109 finish, excuse me, against the Kings, where how could I ever forget that Willie Cauley-Stein video that they keep replaying over and over and over again about him going for this sensational dunk that never even went in, but here we are subjected to watching it repeatedly. I mean, it was from the free throw line, pretty impressive double-handed jam if he could have made it, but he didn't. Anyway, we're off topic. The Pelicans won the night before, 105-97 to the Lakers. Woo for us. Very exciting. It was the first win of the boogie era that didn't include the Pistons game where he was suspended. So they've been coming off a bit of a high into Salt Lake City where the air is a bit thinner. Another excuse that you can make for our for our tired players. Um, but we'll get over to the jazz heroes of this game. Rudy Gobert. Their leader and commander yet again, the ever-confounding Rudy Gobert. I think he really relishes the opportunity to play Anthony Davis because he really frustrates him, and I thought that bringing Boogie into the equation might change things. He can't defend both of them, can he? Uh, But his length and size were such a problem, not only for the two of them, but for the rest of the team in general. I brought out a shot chart uh, early on on Twitter of... All the attempts that the Pelicans had in the paint in the first half. And let's just say there were a lot of X's and no O's to speak of whatsoever. It was a very ugly shot chart all around. The 
Pelicans scored all of their points in the paint for the most part. I think they scored 30 in the paint and they gave up 34. So they were getting their points in there and they were giving them up in there as well. Most of their shots were going in from about 7 to 11 feet. Nothing from the three-point line. In fact, there was one confounding exchange where Dante Cunningham had three wide-open looks from the left corner. First one bricked it. Second one clanked right out, and third one, we were hoping for a miracle, but it was not going to come on Monday night. Now Hayward chipped in 23-7, and seven, and Joe Ingles, a uh, popular free agent target that some of our... Um, some of our reporters are talking about as somebody we could investigate adding to our wings. I just don't see us being able to afford him with only the mid-level exception being available if we re-sign Drew Holiday. I don't think $8 million is going to be enough to get him. He is up in years. He's around 30 years old, so uh, nobody's going to be giving max money for him. So you never know. He put in 12 on 4, 5, and 3. Absolutely killed us with a back-breaking steal of Drew Holiday in the 4th and sealed that with a 3-pointer that... Uh, that was pretty much it for us. Um, AD finished with a very respectable 20 points and 12 rebounds on 7 of 17 shooting, so not completely uh, efficient, but still a respectable stat line, and Boogie put in 15 points and 8 rebounds, and the story has to be what didn't happen, and that was our contributors, uh, Solomon Hill, um, giving us nothing. Hollis Thompson was played, was limited, I should say, by Alvin Gentry to three minutes in the first half. Um, a lone bright spot for us. Yay, something to cheer about. Uh, I'm sure we've heard, uh, I'm sure you've heard from all the news outlets about Jordan Crawford's 10-day contract and him entering the game for the first time since April 16th in 2014 and he came back with a bang. He was ready to play basketball. He hit his first three with 9-12 left in the second, almost as if uh, he had been holding it inside of him for three years since the last time that he had played almost. And he had a great night. He scored 14 of his final 19 in the fourth, put us within three with five minutes left in the game. He was all of our offensive firepower, had three assists, two steals, had a gorgeous alley-oop to Anthony Davis, just looked so comfortable right from the get-go. When we pick up these guys, Hollis Thompson and Reggie Williams and Jared Jack, you never anticipate that they're going to be this comfortable, but uh, Jordan Crawford, my friends, is unconscious. He fears no man, and he was ready to pound the rock and to distribute it as well. Now, uh, at halftime, we were 34-40 to 40 on 27% shooting, as I mentioned. Nine points from Cousins, six points from Davis. And uh, the Pebbles got back to that with an 11-4 run. Um, it just, we, they were at 16-30 at that point before they pulled it to 27-34. to 34. So it was, it was a dogfight. It was ugly. Um, in, second, in the second quarter, we had a lot of great defense from Drew Holiday, who's not giving us anything offensively lately, but he is a great defender. Uh, we'll, get to the, we'll get to the Raptors game a little bit later, but he's not contributing on the offensive end, but he sure is putting work on the defensive end. But you couldn't help but notice our guys were tired. Uh, Anthony Davis, a guy who usually is the first person to, to dive into the stands for a loose ball, was, was not chasing balls, was not contesting shots at the usual rate that he does. Um, and... Oh, man, these numbers. I can't even look at them. But we did have some other bright spots. Tim Frazier, some nice distribution to Agensa and AD. There was an eight-minute stretch um, 
Oh man, an eight-minute stretch in the third where the score was nine to nine. That was our scoring in eight the first eight minutes of the third quarter. But uh, Frazier came in and gave some great energy. Sorry, I'm all over the place. I'm trying to look for bright spots right now. Uh, another negative, Drew Holiday sitting for the final 17 minutes of the game. He finished with five points and three assists. And I kept looking over uh, to see if we could get a shot of the bench to see what his demeanor was, whether he was hurt, whether an argument had instigated it. But uh, Alvin Gentry is just looking for solutions wherever he can find them. And you can't help but notice the body language. Bill Simmons, the body language doctor, would be able to tell you that when you look at our starters out there, once we get into the third and fourth quarter, they start getting down on themselves. They start getting frustrated, and that all starts with DeMarcus Cousins. And before we get into the to the rock, uh, the Raptors game, excuse me, just a couple of, of statistics that I found just offensively uh, on NBA.com slash stats and uh, – it, it involves DeMarcus Cousins and the points that we get with him on the floor, with AD paired with him on the floor, and with AD off the floor, with just DeMarcus, and with DeMarcus off the floor, and all the numbers point to the Pelicans being better with DeMarcus off the floor. They're averaging 68 uh, per 36 with him off, 77 with Anthony Davis on and him off, and... Uh, that's, that's a telling stat, and it's going to take them time to figure it out. Uh, he does a lot of ball stopping. He does a lot of bullying, which does result in a lot of foul shots, but uh, it also results into a lot of turnovers, and it also results in a lot of desperation passes at the end of the shot clock that don't help our role players. And we want to beat up on them, but we're also going to have to beat up on Boogie a little bit too. Now, like we said, we the game finished with 20 turnovers, and you know what? We've had enough of this. <laughs> Let's move it right along to uh, the Blazers game, which was last night. It was technically tonight as I'm recording this, but um, I was lucky enough to be at the game, and I learned a lot watching it, and I have to continue on the same stuff I was talking about the Jazz, and that's why I kind of wanted to catapult myself over here. It's the body language I'm seeing from the players, starting with Boogie. It's the life of the Smoothie King Center in general. It's the demeanor from the coaches on the bench. All these guys just look completely despondent. It's such a different energy. I actually posted a video at the beginning of the game, right before the player introductions. AD and DeMarcus were the last ones out of the tunnel, and DeMarcus was jumping all over Anthony Davis's back, pushing him out there. Uh, when they were doing their shoot-around, they were... Um, you know, hobnobbing a bit, messing with each other. It all started with DeMarcus. He looked like the clown of the two. But Anthony Davis was definitely loving the interaction. And starting from there, it looked like everybody was uh, really out to an enthusiastic beginning. And the game started, and they got out to a hot, a hot start, 26-22. to 22. But before we get to what happened, I couldn't help but notice throughout the course of the game, once a couple of fouls are called, once a couple of shots don't go our way, Boogie starts trotting up the court, starts getting more and more progressively angry at officials, at teammates. You see him shaking his head. You see him arguing. And at the end of every offensive exchange where he puts the ball up and either gets knocked to the ground or the layup doesn't go in, you see him trot back on defense versus if he has an exciting lay and the ball goes up, he gets up and he sprints back to the other side to, to slow down jo Jonas Valanciunas, who... Um, Scored 25 and 13, by the way, tonight. He was great, both offensively, getting offensive rebounds and frustrating DeMarcus Cousins all night long. 
but the demeanor of the guys in the first quarter, you've got DeMarcus Cousins after Hollis Thompson got his first three in what seems like forever. You see him coaching him on spacing, the two of the guys having a very lively conversation and it just ending very positively between the two. You could tell that they were on the same page. And then midway through the second quarter, there was a misunderstanding between the two of them during a switch, and you see Boogie glare at Hollis Thompson, and it just happens that quickly throughout the course of the game. This was in the same half, but let's let's get to let's get to the game now. The Pels came into this game twenty-five and thirty-nine, desperately needed this win for any clinging hopes to the playoffs they had. They they're five games back in the Nuggets. They've got the the Kings, the Blazers, the Mavericks ahead of them. Who knows who else? The Raptors, thirty-seven and twenty-six, also fighting. They're holding on tightly to that fourth seed. Uh, in front of the Hawks. They're only a game and a half back of the Wizards, two and a half of the Celtics. They've got the eighth best defense, and they came in and they showed it early on. Jonas was their hero, 25 and 13. The game ended uh, when he collected an offensive rebound with the putback to go up by 10. Um, Cousins was the hero for the Pelicans with 25 and 10 and 39 minutes. Um, he also contributed five turnovers and five fouls. And Anthony Davis, our franchise, uh, left at the end of the second quarter. Another frightening collision. It was just a few nights ago, not against the Lakers. It was against the Mavericks when David Lee pinned his finger against the backboard. I hope you fans remember that. And the same thing happened. He went to the locker room, got it taped, came back out, went back in, taped it again. Tonight he had a very scary fall when he went up for a, a, a Beautiful pass, I would say, that Drew Holiday threw up for him. A nice alley-oop between two defenders. Anthony Davis went up and got it, and Norman Powell made him pay for it. And he came down, and he landed on the back of his head, and he contused his left wrist. He went to the locker room, and he never came back out. Um, and we really needed him in the second half. We needed his spacing. We needed his athleticism. There's a lot of guys driving. Um, Corey Joseph had a lot more success penetrating in the first half. He was stymied seemingly at every turn. Um, and Serge Ibaka gave our players fits too. But Solomon Hill, one of five, two turnovers. Drew Holiday, 32 minutes, seven points on three of nine shooting. Had three turnovers of his own, including another fourth quarter backbreaker. Um, Etwan Morin and uh, Jordan Crawford were our other bright spots with 10 points for Crawford on 4 of 8, ultra-efficient, 3 assists, very comfortable hand handling the ball. And uh, Etwan Moore, 13 points on 6 of 11, and he had some nice plays himself, some nice drives, um, some nice scoops and scores, and, uh, and even drained a 3-pointer. Uh, he was 1 of 3, I believe, on the night. So he played well, and he also did it defensively. These guys really shut down DeMar DeRozan. My father is not a big uh, sports fan by any means, but he definitely thought that Jonas Valanciunas was, was an NBA star. And when I pointed to him, DeMar DeRozan, he, he said he thought he had just entered the game. Uh, he got 14 points on the night, 6 assists uh, on 5 of 15 shooting. Drew Holiday did a great job on him. Solomon Hill did a great job on him. Etwan Moore, our guys played great defense. You can't say they didn't give effort defensively for all their mishaps on offense. But these guys, these guys went to work on that end um, every single time. Serge Ibaka contributed 12 points on 30 minutes. And a lot of his points, and I'm going to harp back on this, he had two big three-pointers where Cousins was stymied at the other end of the floor, 
didn't hustle back. Serge Ibaka sat at the three-point line and just drained a three-pointer. That happened on two separate occasions. Uh, got a jumper out of it as well. All these points that come, I would love if anybody out there, you're all smarter than me, if anybody can find a statistic on how many points Pelicans' opponents score when DeMarcus Cousins fails to get back on defense after a shot attempt. If somebody can find that out and tweet me at Pelican Brief NBA, I would be in your debt because I've been wrangling my mind over it uh, all night watching the game tonight as frustrated as I was getting and watching the Jazz game, watching the Lakers game. It's got to be costing us games with the the five-point game that we suffered to the Jazz and and the game tonight, the seven-point loss that we had to Toronto, it's got to be affecting our games or at least, you know, broadening the gap in the fourth quarter. You know, if the game could come down to a three-pointer, if the game could come down to maybe one possession, these things matter. And Scott Kushner on Twitter reported that he looked exhausted. I'm, I wasn't sitting in front of a television. I was, I was lucky enough to uh, be able to watch the game in person. And I, I didn't see fatigue. I saw plenty of fatigue when he was jogging back up the court after an offensive possession. But he seemed to touch the ball every time the Pelicans went to the offensive end, and he didn't seem tired. He banged his way through every defender he could get, threw his arms up in disgust when it resulted in a turnover, and he didn't get the foul call. Every single time uh, I learned a referee's name well tonight, I guess not that well because I can't remember it now. I think it was Greg Rattenton or... Uh, something like that, but he was involved early on with our guys. There was one point where four out of the five Pelicans, each one more was called for two successive fouls, and all four of our guys, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Drew Holiday, and Solomon Hill, all walked over to the official, seemingly displeased with the way that he was calling the game, glaring at him, arguing with him, slapping their their forearms, requesting calls, and they just weren't getting it from him, and Nobody complained more than Boogie. I could I could hear him uh, yelling, just watch, just watch. And he was referring to Jonas Valanciunas using the, the sweeping elbow, which he employed on several different possessions. And he definitely was calculated with it. He was really smart with it. You can't fault the guy. He knew he was getting into Boogie's head. You knew he was frustrating him. And even though Boogie was still putting up the points, still getting the ball, still getting the rebound, still working really hard offensively, you could see the effect, the toll it was taking on him. And you can't expect that other Pelicans players, that Pelicans fans, that Pelicans coaches don't see it. It doesn't rub off on them. How could it not? You could feel the energy in the Smoothie King Center, everybody clapping their hands. Come on, Boogie, get back on defense, you know, get your head back in the game. Now, I know a lot of people, um, Scott Kushner and Rick Stone and some of the other people that we follow on Twitter are arguing that he's exhausted, and it's certainly possible. Uh, He weighs in excess of probably 270, 280 pounds. He's 6'11". He's not used to, you know, running up and down the court. And this could be something that we could fault on Alvin Gentry for employing these guys around the perimeter rather than putting him in the paint where he's more comfortable. But to that, I would argue, it's actually easier for him to sit out of the three-point line because it's 20 feet less that he has to run. And every time he comes out on offense, he always sits up at that three-point line. And you just want him under the basket. You want him fighting for positioning. You want him drawing the double team, and then you want him kicking it out to Solomon Hill, who shoots one for five. But Etwan Moore was putting the ball in the basket. Jordan Crawford was putting the ball in the basket. Drew Holiday is 
uh, struggling again. Um, he goes through his uh, through his ebbs and flows, but you have to trust that he's going to come through because if he is somebody that we're going to sign to this lucrative max extension, we have to know. We have to know. We've got 17 games left, and we need to figure it out now. We have to decide, is he going to be worth paying $25 million a year for the next four to five years? We have to know. And so Boogie's got to pass the ball, and if he doesn't want to pass it to the Hollis Thompsons of the world, the, the Reggie Williams of the world, and newly acquired Wayne Seldon's of the world, then he's got to find somebody he is willing to pass it to because those double teams and even triple teams that he was drawing in the second half without the Anthony Davis present were just resulting in blocks and turnovers, and it really crippled our team offensively, uh, especially with uh, how well Jordan Crawford is playing lately. You could hear oohs and ahs from the crowd as his jumper seemingly didn't even touch the net. It went so cleanly through the rim that you would have thought they forgot to put one on it. It was really beautiful, and I, I hope he keeps shooting the way that he is and playing the way he is, because it really is nice to see a, a shooter playing for the New Orleans Pelicans again. I can't imagine um, the last time that we had one as proficient this early on to acquiring them, especially midseason. It's really been something to see. But enough about this game. We've we've talked a lot about the points. We do hope that uh, Anthony Davis comes back quickly. X-rays were negative. He's listed as day-to-day. Um, at this point, it might be in the cards to chase that top three protected 2017 lottery pick. Uh, the Pelicans are not going to do that. They're they're not going to phone in the season. They're gonna they're gonna play and they're gonna figure out what they have. And in many ways, that's much smarter because we need to figure out if we can sign Boogie to this max extension next year if we can sign drew holiday the other option is adding on a year much in the way they did to the oklahoma city thunder did to russell westbrook this year increasing his salary next year and then extending him two years after that with possibly a player option during that third year but it's definitely the something the pelicans are going to have to explore if these guys can play together and if they can win together and if alvin gentry's system is the right one they really do have to play these guys hard they can't go for that draft pick because that's not going to teach us anything and we're going to go into next season asking ourselves all the same questions but with that we have taken a dive much more deeply into sadness than i was planning on So Saturday night, we will be facing the Charlotte Bobcats. They're led by Steve Clifford. They're 28-35, and and they're much in the same position. They're three games back of the eighth seed. Uh, A little bit more manageable than our deficit. I think it's safe to say we'd be at six games by now if the Nuggets managed to win their next game. Uh, They're led by Kemba Walker with 23 points and six assists. He's having another terrific all-star worthy season. Nicholas Batum with 15 points and seven rebounds. They're ninth in defensive rating, so they're going to give us all the same problems that we had against the Utah Jazz and the Toronto Raptors. So get ready for another dismal slugfest. Hopefully we'll get AD back and hopefully he'll be the difference to get this one. Now, something unrelated that I want you guys to pay attention to uh, we've all been taking a dive into free agency options and uh, trade options with the season seemingly coming to an end. And uh, we've all been looking at teams that are, you know, at that cap rate where they're either so high above the cap that it doesn't even matter if they're a contender they need to get out of, you know, uh, paying the, the, the tax. Or we've got teams like the Orlando Magic, like the Charlotte Hornets, like the Portland Trailblazers who are already at the tax for 2017 
who don't necessarily want to pay it, and this is an up-close-and-personal view of one of those teams. The Charlotte Bobcats will definitely—oh, wait, they are the Hornets now. Oh, my God, what have I been saying? I've been going on about this for three minutes. Well, this is definitely your source for fan news, not necessarily professional news. Uh, you are getting at the Pelican Debrief right now. It is the Hornets. They did change their name last year. Slap my face twice for me. Uh, but anyway, like I was saying, they're going to need to cut salary next year. And with the addition of Miles Plumley, they're definitely already at that threshold. And some names that they might look to part with, Nicholas Batum is making 23 to $24 million a year uh, through the life of 2020. He gave his team a discount, but he still signed a five-year $125 million deal. So he is still getting paid, and I'm not sure they're going to want to pay that much to a 15-7 and seven guy who uh, plays pretty good defense, but is not a ball stop. I would not say he's uh, on a Bruce Bowen, Tony Allen level, but he can play different positions on the wing. He can power forward you. He can small forward. And uh, in some lineups, if you want to go a bit bigger, he can even give you a couple minutes at shooting guard. He is versatile, and uh, he can score the basketball. He has a history of doing so. He also has an injury history. But anyway, he's one casualty that could come as a result of this. Another one is Jeremy Lamb, who's scheduled to make $7 million for the next two years, I think 14.5 with two years left. And the other one... That will come in my article that will be, uh, I'm talking about some of the people that the Pelicans might be targeting this offseason as they don't have a lot of cap flexibility if they re-sign Drew Holiday. One person that they could target is Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Um, he's making $13 million a year. He has three years left on his contract after this one. He's uh, a great defensive player, doesn't need the ball in his hands. He's great at finishing around the rim and inside 12 feet. He shoots 60%, but he's he's not a jump shooter. He, he will not help <laughs> in that realm. We've got plenty of guys who can't shoot already, but this is just something to explore, so something to keep your eye on. And also this week, I'm excited to announce that uh, I'll be interviewing Wilton Jackson of Pelican Debrief, and we'll be discussing some more of this, and he is much smarter than me. Trust me, you guys. Wait until you hear some of his credentials, so he's going to offer you a lot more intelligent insight on the state of the Pelicans and their future going forward. But with that being said, thank you guys so much for joining me. I appreciate it so much. If you guys have a chance, go on to iTunes, rate us, or even just go on to Twitter and uh, just tell us some stuff you'd like to hear about. Uh, give us some critiques. Uh, my name is Preston Ellis again. I'm at Pelican Brief NBA, and you can follow our site at Pelican Debrief and visit our website at pelicandebrief.com. We'll have our grades up later tonight. Rick Stone's hard at work on that. And uh, thank you guys for visiting us, and we'll talk to you again in just two days. Good night, you guys.